All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Sports Injury Central Pro Football Doc podcast. And we have a very special guest today, and perhaps we should rename our podcast to uh, Tom Brady uh, Breaking News. Last week, we had the opener to the Brady News, Rich Ornberger, on, and he talked about the red pens and Tom Brady, Bruce Arians. And today, we have the closer, the hammer on that Tom Brady Bucks story, my good friend Ben Volen, and uh, crushing it. And and by the way, um, I, I saw you tweet that uh, you know you and Cam Smith had something in common at the Masters that tri- triple bogey on twelve. I know you played the Masters when you were down there. Lucky, lucky guy. But I think I have a better claim to fame now, thanks to you, Ben. I can now claim that Colin Cowherd open for me because you just came off Colin Cowherd nationally to come on this podcast. So Colin Cowherd's my opener. How's that for a line? He, he's your warm-up back. Thanks for uh, <laughs> you know, blowing up my spot here, embarrassing me here, Dave. But uh, yes, I was fortunate enough to get a little airtime with Colin today. He's always always good a good platform there, but hey, it's doesn't doesn't uh, hold a candle to the pro football doc. So. Oh yeah, well he'll he, he'll do for a warm up, you know. Thank thank you, Colin, by the way, uh, for warming up Ben. Well, look, I'm very appreciative that you'd come on. I'm sure you're blowing up everywhere. Not that you're not always busy, but give the listeners the insight onto the whole Brady stuff. And by the way. Obviously, you're in New England, you're with the Boston Globe, but you're a national reporter. And the other thing I'll I'll introduce you for people is that you, of all people, are in the most unique situation to break this news because of the Brady connections, et cetera, coming out of New England. But you were in Miami before, and that's the other half of this story is is Miami. So uh, now that you're warm from Colin, take it away. Tell us about your big news and, and how you got to it. Uh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I guess between Brady and the Dolphins, I guess it it has wrapped uh, me in its various tentacles because I did used to cover the Dolphins and, and work down in South Florida before coming up here. So it's a little bit of a convoluted story. I'll try not to get too long, and I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. It starts really with the Rich Ornberger stuff. Uh, I guess he met, said it on your podcast last week how the honeymoon with the uh, – uh, Brady and the Bucks and with Arians, I think specifically, was kind of over with. And look, I think Brady and, and Arians are probably, they probably would love to have a drink with each other, probably good friends on the golf course. But I, I do think there was some issues there uh, with the relationship. And and I keep going back to the phrase, too many chefs in the kitchen. You know, between, they, they, have, they have a really experienced coaching staff there. Byron Leftwich on the offensive side, Todd Bowles on defense, um, Harold Godwin the uh, is the assistant head coach. He's been a coordinator. Keith Armstrong, uh, longtime special teams coach. So they just have a lot of experience. Bruce Arians has taken a step back the last few years. He's not doing the game planning. He's not calling the plays, but he's still letting his opinions be known about the direction of the team. So I think, I think that was kind of part of the reason why Brady initially, you know, retired from the NFL. It wasn't really retirement because he never used that word. It was him working his way out of Tampa. And then the other tentacle is Stephen Ross, uh, the Dolphins owner, big Michigan guy. He's got his name on the business school at Michigan. Tom Brady is obviously the the star alumnus there. 
Um, Steven Ross has always been looking for splash and to make a big, you know, he did it this year with getting Tyreek Hill. Um, they spent a lot of money. He, he, he had Venus and Serena Williams as limited partners at one time. And he, he's always looking for like the splash and the headlines. His big move was he was going to go get Tom Brady to be, you know, running his front office, potentially being a minority owner, part of the ownership group. And for Brady, this was a golden opportunity to get into the business side of the NFL, which I think is really, truly his post-career aspirations to get into an ownership group. Like Brady loves the billionaire class. You know, when he hangs out with his friends, Brady's probably, you know, the poorest guy at the table. He loves the, the billionaires. So he wants to get into the ownership level of the NFL. And I think the Dolphins presented the, the, the perfect opportunity to do that. So he was going to go down to Miami his head coach was going to be Sean Payton, which seems out of left field, but they share an agent, Don Yee. Um, Brady almost went to the Saints a few years ago when he ultimately went to the Bucs. He was close to joining the Saints, but uh, Drew Brees ultimately decided to come back, so so that came off the table. So Brady wanted a coach he can trust, a coach that he knows can be a winner. So he would, he and Payton were going to go to, to Miami uh, as a package deal. Payton, the coach, Brady was going to be – I liken him to like Derek Jeter running the Marlins, like, you know, maybe not the GM, you know, scouting the guys, but he was going to be a major figurehead at top of the front office, um, potentially even minority owner. And then the whole thing, unbeknownst to them, on the same day that Brady steps away, Brian Flores files his lawsuit naming the Dolphins and the NFL and several other teams um, in, you know, racial discrimination just blows the whole deal up. Um, the situation just became too hot. You're worried about being roped into a lawsuit. Are they going to check our cell phones and discovery? And can the Dolphins even go through with this whole thing while they're being sued for racial discrimination? It's just not a good look. So the Brian Flores lawsuit just blows the whole thing up. So now Brady's looking at it like, well, what am I going to do? Like sit around on my couch all year? You know, no. He, he, so he he decides, okay, I'm going to go back to the Bucks. Um, but first, I, I think he has to clear some things up with the ownership. And so he goes over to the United Kingdom. He goes to a Manchester United. He's a soccer fan, Ben. Come on. He likes sports. Exactly. Yeah, he's just a soccer <laughs> fan. Just happens to go to the team that's owned by the Glazers who own the Buccaneers. Again, I know this is a long story. I'm trying to make it as quick as possible here, the elevator version. He goes and he thanks the Glazers for hosting him that weekend. Magically, the next day he comes out of retirement, and then two weeks later, uh, Bruce Arians is a sudden surprise no-show. He leaves the owners' meetings uh, suddenly, uh, and he's out, and Todd Bowles is now the head coach. So it's it's a long, twisted tale, but Brady was going to go to Miami to potentially run the team and then the Brian Flores lawsuit blew the whole thing up. Now, that is so interesting because you tie so many things together. And I didn't want to inter interrupt your whole story for the listeners. But there's <laughs> a lot of pieces there. That, I mean, I, we could have a lot of interesting comments and fun with this. You're right about Brady. I mean, yeah, the, the billionaire club. But look, Brady's used to that, right? He's not the wealthiest person in his own family, right? I mean, <laughs> Giselle's got more money than he does. So it's not about money at all. And then you also brought up an interesting thing about the wording. Brady always has struck me as a guy that's very careful in his wording, right? He didn't say retirement. So it reminds me of another guy we know in common who, uh, after he, quote, graduated, went to New England, right? You remember the Junior Seau, the Spanoses threw him a great retirement ceremony and junior was all over the place saying 
I'm, I'm graduating. I'm graduating from this chapter, right? And then uh, he went off to grad school in uh, New England. I still remember we were going to make junior honoree at the charity, the Taste of the Cove event I've told you about. And he had agreed. And then uh, we were rolling with that. And he I land in Chicago in a preseason game. And he texts me, oh, yeah, I'm going to New England. I'm like, dude, you just retired yesterday, going to New England. And, and meanwhile, on the front of our bus was sitting, was team bus was Dean Spanos, the owner. I was like, do you tell Dean yet? He goes, no, I haven't reached him yet. Well, he's on the bus right now. <laughs> you can call him. We're headed to the hotel or whatever. But yeah, so wording is very important, right? And I think you picked up on that. And what Rich yeah. Ornberger said last week and the wording where, where I started to believe the story from Rich, A, Rich is a reliable guy, but when Bruce Arians protested too much and said, I don't even have a red pen. No one was physically saying red pen. Right. It was, right. you know, uh, uh, just a, a, a metaphor for what was happening, right? So now that you've broken this huge piece of news, you gotten any blowback? Do you expect any blowback? I mean, what? I mean, wh what's next? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, I, I did get a call from my guy the other day, kind of laughing, being like, "Man, you're not making any friends with the Brady camp right now." But you know, I, I, I'm I don't think I'm trying to you know cast any blame here or anything. I know some people think that Brady is looking like an egomaniac a little bit. I, I don't. I actually don't think that. I think a guy of his stature, for as much as he means to the Bucks, I think. I think he should be the guy in charge. I think he should be calling the shots more or less. It's it's a new day and age in pro sports, and uh, I think Brady's got a pretty good pulse of, of how things are going. And look, I don't know if he ordered the code red and told the told the owners <laughs> you got to fire Bruce Arians, but I think he let it be known that the situation needed to be rectified one way or another. Um, well, and and tell me if I'm right on this theory. Uh, like you know what happens in New England very very well. And I might argue, I mean, Bruce Arians might be getting a little bit of a bad rap here. Is he a little hot-headed? I mean, clearly he cut Antonio Brown on the sideline. Does, is he older and he just wants to do things his way for sure? I don't think, if you really look at it and tell me if I, my thought on this is right or wrong, the, Bruce Arians probably getting you know a lot of wrath here. But in reality, he probably was a lot kinder to Brady than Bill Belichick was, except, you know, the Tom Brady stand up in the in the meeting rooms and why are you doing this, that, the other, right? Criticism. Bruce Arians didn't do any of that, but I think maybe Tom was just at a point in his life where I've been through all those years under Bill Belichick's thumb. I, I want freedom. I don't want to have anyone control me. It's like, it's like uh, I, I've grown up and gone off and gone to college. I'm calling my own shots. I don't need a mom or dad telling me what to do anymore. Uh, do you get that sense? Yeah, I, I, some of that certainly. And I mean, can't you, can't you see the dynamic where Brady and Leftwich are doing most of the game planning and then Arians comes in and you know him, he's a very opinionated guy. And he probably does say, nope, nope, nope. And they're probably looking at it like, come on, like we're doing the work here, you know? So, so I, I, I don't know if the situation with Arians and Belichick are apples to apples by any sense, uh, by any stretch. What's interesting is with, with Belichick, Belichick never criticized Brady publicly. He always, you know, gave very generic answers publicly. We all got to play better, you know, that kind of thing. But would air him out privately or in team meetings. And we all know that was kind of a motivational tactic too, where the other guys on the roster say, wow, if Brady can get lit up, then I can get lit up too. 
Whereas I, I think with the Bucks, yeah, I think Bruce Arians let Brady do whatever he want. Hey, you train this way, fine. You need to do this, whatever you want. Like they gave him off days in practice, whatever you need. But then there was this strange pattern where Arians would, you know, he he has no filter and he'd be very critical of Brady after a game. He'd blame him for interceptions or say, yeah, he really missed those deep balls. And then he'd walk it back late, you know, a few days later in the press conferences where I don't know if Brady's appreciating being – you know, uh, uh, you know, aired out in public in those press conference settings like that. Again, I don't think the Arians situation was the reason that Brady initially stepped away. I think it was all about trying to finagle his way out of Tampa because he had this golden opportunity in Miami to get into the business of the NFL. I think it was really about that. And he didn't, he certainly didn't hate Tampa by any stretch. I mean, he's going back there, you know, so it couldn't have been all bad, but I just felt, you know, I said it before, the the too many chefs in the kitchen, just too many guys on the coaching staff. Bruce Arians is right. It was time for him to step down. It's time for Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich and these guys to get their credit. Bruce Arians was kind of a progress stopper in that sense. So it, it really was time for him to step away. I just, I don't know if it was truly, you know, his decision. Well, uh, look, Ben, kudos to you on the reporting because I think the silence is deafening and speaks for itself. I mean, I don't hear any blowback on the story. I mean, usually when a story is not right or th- someone wants to spin it, you know, here, here it comes. But there, there hasn't really been much. Now, in follow-up, any team that courted Deshaun Watson, the existing starting quarterback was out, right? From Baker, who ultimately, you know, he landed in Cleveland, Matt Ryan, you name it kind of situation. Does this mean anything for Tua? But, I mean, Tom wasn't necessarily playing quarterback he was joining. Does this boat send any signals about Tua? I think it just confirms that this is make or break for Tua right now. Um, so I, Brady, I, I do think – I don't think he was retired. I do think he was planning to play again. And I do think he was trying to kind of backdoor his way to the Dolphins because the Bucks they control his rights. So I think if – but only as a player, not as an executive. So he could have joined the Dolphins in the front office – and then, you know, the Bucks move on, they find their next guy, and then you approach them and say, hey, how about we just give you a third-round pick? And So I do think he was trying to backdoor it, but it may not have been able to happen right away. They may have had to wait a year. So I, I do think Tua – that's a long way of saying I think Tua was probably going to get this year no matter what. And, you know, it's become a cliche now to say that it's make-or-break time for Tua. No more excuses. I mean, they went out and got him Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and put the franchise tag on Mike Gesicki. He, they certainly have all the weapons, and I think he can be effective running an offense similar to what the Niners ran, where it's just quick passes and you're really relying on yards after the catch and the speed of, of your receivers. So if he can just be a point guard and get the ball out quickly and get it to Tyree Kill and those guys, like you know, he could be effective. But no question, this is the make-or-break season for Tua, and if it doesn't go well, um, whether it's Brady or someone else, I do think the Dolphins will be looking at another quarterback next year. You know, I, I mean, I don't want to take up your time on getting into it, but I, I like Tua as a person, but I learned something about Tua that concerns me a lot as a medical guy. Uh, people are born right-brained, left-brained, right-handed, left-handed. And there's no question Tua is a great quarterback. He's made it to this level, first-round draft pick and the whole deal. But it kind of surprised me to learn, and it's going to sound weird, but hear me out, that Tua is actually naturally right-handed, does everything right-handed, but throws a football left-handed. Now, that's not to say he's not great at doing what he's doing, but can Tua, a smaller guy, as a natural right-hander, 
make, meaning he's left-brained, you know, can he ever do what, well, can anyone ever do what Patrick Mahomes does? From arm angles, changes, quick things, on the move, you know, finding a slot to throw to Tyreek Hill uh, on time so that he can run as a smaller guy across the line. Uh, medically, because of right brain, left brain, I think it makes it a little bit even harder for Tua. Or, or anybody who's wired that way, that's all. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I've obviously never thought about that. that. Only someone like a pro football doc like you would, would think of those. <laughs> that's good stuff, man. But uh, All right, I, so here's the other news that I hear whispers of. And I have no substantiation. Like, I'm not, I don't go with it or whatever. What do you make of real fake undercurrent of Brady, sorry, a Belichick and Kraft relationship breakdown rumors. Uh, I'm sure you hear it. Well, so I was at the owners' meetings in Palm Beach last week or whenever it was, and Robert Kraft invited all the Boston media for a little sit-down. We did like 15 minutes off the record, then like 10 minutes on the record. And he opened up his on-the-record portion saying, you know, he's bothered that they haven't made the playoffs in three years. And first of all, the Snickers that came from like Lions fans and, you know, Washington fans, like three years, Dolphins fans, those guys, have, those teams have gone decades. But so, so people, and, and then he mentioned something about like, I expect us to, you know, be competitive now, which what else do you expect the owner to say? So I think some people took that to, to be, oh, a shot across the bow. He's losing patience with Belichick. And I don't know, I did, I came away with the opposite impression after that whole sit down with Kraft. Um, yeah, he said that, that he was bothered in his opening statement. And I think that was probably a way just to empathize with the fans a little bit, a little bit of PR from Kraft, because otherwise he spent the whole time defending everything Belichick does. Well, you know, we, we got to draft a little bit better, but I we got to stay the course and we have some good young players. And I know, I know what I don't know. And Bill is, you know, Bill's been around this game a lot longer than I have. And he spent the whole time just kind of defending everything that's happened and Oh, the coaching staff doesn't look traditional. Well, you know, Belichick, he's de he's made a lot of right decisions over the years. So I don't think, look, Kraft's already kind of known as the guy that lost Tom Brady. I don't think he wants to be known as the guy that also ran off Bill Belichick. And so I don't think Belichick's going anywhere. I think he's got a tenured seat as long as he wants to be the coach there. And as long as he's winning 8, 10, 11 games every year, you know, it's going to be peaceful in, in Foxborough. So, of course, people want to see them be a little more competitive and, and actually get back to the being Super Bowl competitive. But I don't sense any notion from Kraft of wanting to move on from Belichick. Well, so much for my sources there. Obviously, yours are way better than mine. But anyways, Ben, I appreciate the time. I appreciate your, your you know, bumping Colin Cowherd up so that you can get to our uh, segment. I told I him, Colin, we got to cut this off now. I got I got the pro football doc we got to do now. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I'm going to take that monitor and uh, now and forever that Colin Cowherd opened for me with Ben Volan as the, as, the, as the guest. And look, we could go a lot longer. I could ask you about a bunch of other things, but uh, I know you, you're, you're hot with a whole bunch of other hits and other things today. So I appreciate you, my friend. Any closing remarks from you or anything you want to say? Uh, that's it. Uh, please check me out on Twitter at Ben Volan and at the Boston Globe, uh, bostonglobe.com. All right, uh, special thanks to Ben Volan again, my friend. Uh, you know, closing on the Brady story after we had Rich Ornberger as the opener. 
Let's move on to our regular segment here with the boys. We got Taylor joining us here and Jacob and our producer, uh, Justin, to help keep me in line here. That was kind of pretty cool, huh? By accident, we were all over two weeks in a row. <laughs> Brady guest stuff. Uh, I think that was fun. If Brady has a hangnail, we need to talk about it, right? Because it's Tom Brady. Uh, whereas if you're a special teams player, it depends on how significant the injury is, right? Um, anyways, uh, NFL. Uh, we have obviously, you know, pro football doc, NFL, but with the sports injury central doctors, we're into baseball, basketball, golf, and everything else. Any other NFL news you guys want to cover uh, before we uh, move on to other sports? Uh, we got draft stuff coming up next week. Um, we're going to go heavy into that, so uh, make sure to check out the website. We're, we're dropping news periodically on that. I think the biggest uh, stuff this week is a uh, camp's opening, and then there's there's a constant visits going on by uh, by all the prospects uh, meeting with teams. You have any first yeah. stuff with that, Doc? Yeah. So so obviously at the website sixscore sicscore.com. You have all the some of the draft stuff and the top players, quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett's hand, wide receivers, running backs, defensive players. We're going through it all. I'm still working on one story that I, I want to get it right before we break it because it's I don't like doing negative news. In general, you know, uh, the, the recheck combines happened this last weekend. Some of it was virtual. Almost all the players are okay to be drafted. You know, whether they get downgraded a little bit or not, it depends. There's one player in particular that I want to get the news right on before we break it, because it really is bad news. I, I don't think is it's a name brand player that uh, I think his time, his career in the NFL will end before it starts based on uh, medical, but we'll get that right and we'll report that as the draft comes up. But the other, uh, you know, the, the 30 visits, I think there's a lot of news right now. So-and-so visited here, so-and-so visited here. Look, I, I've told you guys before that on draft day, I was in the main draft room. Uh, the scouts weren't there. The coordinators weren't there. It was the GM, the assistant GM, the, uh, the uh, owner, you know, Ed McGuire, the head coach, and a couple logistics people, that's it. And the head athletic trainer and I were in the corner in what we call the kids table at Thanksgiving, right? And in the little corner there. And so I wasn't involved in all the draft meetings, but one thing I think, funny story I'll give to you, and I'll leave the name out because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But people often say you get 30 visits. Each team gets to invite 30 players to come out. And how are they utilized? Sometimes, the team would come to me and say, do you need another look at this guy? Would it help you to examine him uh, medically? Should we bring this guy in, even if he wasn't at the combines? Should we bring this guy in? So medical is one reason. Another reason is for whatever they, the, the ownership really wants or the GM really wants another look slash interview with the guy because they're not sure. Or sometimes it could be that they're really love a guy, they want to impress him and you know make sure that he's good in the fold. But there's also a lot of draft misdirection. A lot of draft misdirection. You've all heard stories about, right? He didn't even come in for a visit. A player says, I didn't visit, no one from the team even talked to me. I had no idea I was their pick, right? 
and it's a way to keep the, the lid on things. And I can corroborate the story of that. Back in the day when I was with the San Diego Chargers and uh, post Ladanian Tomlinson era. And the good news is I cannot even remember the player's name. I remember the school he was at, but um, I won't even say that because you'll be able to figure it out. All the draftniks and all the top reporters were connecting this running back from a big name school to the San Diego Chargers. We brought him in for a visit. I gotta keep my mouth shut. I know who it is. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I just don't want to embarrass the kid. Okay. I mean, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, there's nothing secret about this. Yeah, I mean, no, I get it. You probably can figure it out. And let me tell you, I didn't examine him medically. I didn't see him. He didn't really have any medical issues. But I didn't even know that he was being brought in for a visit. I wasn't following all that. But I remember. Later that evening, about six o'clock, I went into one of my favorite restaurants at the time. They, everything from sushi to, to good all around food, Seau's, right in Mission Valley, Junior Seau's place. And I remember walking through there and the running backs coach, our running backs coach says hello to me. And I said hello to him and he's having dinner, just him and the running back coach. And he introduces me to the guy and it's this potential first round draft pick that the Chargers are connected to. Now I love Seau's. I mean, it's as good or better than any sports bar and it did serve sushi and the whole deal. But this wasn't a Ruth Chris dinner with the offensive coordinator and the head coach. This wasn't a fancy private room dinner uh, with Dean Spanos and whatever. Now I get it. It's not a free agent visit. So it's a little bit different. This is a burger and fries with the running backs coach. I'm like, yeah, this guy's not going to be drafted by us. I mean, yeah, the team would have taken him out, taken him out to a nicer dinner. The, the coordinator would have been there if not the head coach. Instead it was quote, not, and I'm not demeaning the running backs coach. It was just two guys, the running back coach and the, and the, and the position player, having a burger at Seau's for dinner, which who knows, the, the, the college kid might have picked it, I get it, but the fact that it was just the two, I was like, yeah, the, you know, if there were draft wagering at the time and, you know, that would have been a good tell that <laughs> that kid's not coming to us. And he didn't, we did not draft the kid. So there's just a lot of misdirection when it comes to team visits. The reporting's accurate, but the why and, you know, um, you know, is the old, is this team, wanting him to drop and now they're spreading medical rumors or is this team liking him and admitting to it to throw people off the scent? Who knows? But uh, that's the, uh, it's liar's poker right now for, for the NFL. So take it all with a grain of uh, salt there. All right, uh, NBA playoffs, guys, right? Um, I know you've done a lot of play-in coverage and then draft coverage, go to sixscore.com. But maybe we should talk about a couple of big pieces of news. One that just happened, Luca, right, with his calf. Um, who who do the who do the Mavs set up to play, or do they not know yet? Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz Utah starting Jazz. on Sunday, Easter Sunday. So that'll be that'll be big. Watching for his availability. We have a six score up on him um, in and up in the update that we did on the calf strain. So uh, that'll be an interesting one, Doc. What do you, what do you think we're going to see from Luca? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the MRI is pending as of this recording, right? And uh, will we get the actual MRI results or is it going to be a spin of the results? You, you, you don't know. But here's my take on this. And this is in consultation with the 
pro baseball docs, uh, sorry, pro basketball docs, et cetera, our Bulls guy, our Rockets guy, et cetera. Uh, first of all, on video, first of all, I think it's very unusual. I mean, obviously it's relatively new, this play-in, where basically you get almost a week off. It's almost like a, right? I mean, how often in the NBA do you not play for six days, right? I mean, that's, all-star break is not even that long. So it's a little bit unusual. You get to reset your lineup, and so maybe this will help Luca. Here's what I say. First of all, on video, and, and you, you guys did a good job of getting the article up last night, you can't tell the degree of calf strain, any muscle strain. Does he not put weight on it because he pulls up, because he feels it and doesn't want to make it worse and it's very, very mild? Or is it very, very severe and that's, that's why? I mean, the, the Mavs have said it's mild, we'll see. But calf strains linger. Look, I've seen the stuff in our timeline and I've seen some reports saying he could be out six weeks, he could be this. We're not that alarmist. I don't think there's any chance in heck Luca will be out six weeks. No chance. Because it's Luca. And he's also not a speed point guard. I mean, the guy's so talented, he can get open when he's not 100% and contribute. Now, could he be a defensive liability? Maybe. Um, but Luca also has a history of playing through. Remember earlier this season, we said that high ankle, he was on the front side of returning from his high ankle. Uh, he has a reputation of strapping it up and playing through. So with that, yeah, you know, we got to wait for the MRI and whatever. And based on limited video, we can't be certain. I don't think the good news, I don't think Luca's going to miss much time, if any. The bad news, calf strains tend to linger and it can affect him. That's why we have him right now with a six score in the low 70s. And, you know, maybe we'll up it. We'll see. I think he's going to play certainly in these playoffs. Look, in our, uh, I want you guys to get to a right and wrong segment, you know, almost like, you know, our warm-up act, Colin Cowherd, obviously a joke when I say that, where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong, where SIC docs were right and wrong, and we can get to that. And if Luca misses all the playoffs, you better mark that down that I'm wrong. He's not missing all the playoffs. I think he's coming back sooner than we think. The question is, how effective can he be? He'll be most effective shooting and offensively. He's a big guy, he can get open. Defensively is the bigger question mark. We're sitting at a six score of 71 for him and we'll figure out what that means for the team. Well, Dallas is just terrified because the last calf strain they had was Dak Prescott's, remember? So, and that kind of lingered into the season and they, they, they blame that for their season falling apart. So people don't want to blame this calf for the Mavericks falling apart, right? So. Well, you know, different games and the whole thing and recency bias and was the calf really the reason it fell apart? I mean, there are a lot of different factors, right? But uh, you make a good point there, uh, Taylor. And um, what do you guys think? Ben Simmons, will he play or won't he play? As a Sixers fan, I don't want to, but I guess for our company, I would like to see what he's got from that back. I would like to see how real the back injury was maybe, but... I mean, I just want to see him out there. I mean, I, I liked watching him when he was on the Sixers. He's a, he's a good he's a good player, but he, he needs to get out there. Well, I thought it was interesting that Woj, Woj is the man, right? Had a very specific tweet. He's playing in the first round of the playoffs or headed towards playing, but it won't be until game three. That's pretty specific. I look at it as, 
I'd interpret that as game three at best. As of today, he's working out and he's going one on zero. Not one on one, one on zero. So assuming there are zero setbacks, the guy hasn't played all season, one on zero doesn't fully project to the third game. That's only 10 days away. That would be lightning speed fastest. And maybe it's going to be true, but I'm just still not. He had the epidural, right? So this is this him ramping up after the epidural is finally set in? Because he didn't do anything for, like you said, for almost two weeks after the epidural. Yeah, when he had the epidural, it was like for sure he's out for two weeks and then ramp up time. So now he's ramp up time. And look, you know, off-season surgery for the disc isn't out of the question. Um, but good to see that at least they're talking about it. Uh, but... You also have to remember, he hasn't played a single second for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, there's a lot of chemistry needed there <laughs> to play, right? Even though he's a, a, a good player and the whole thing. I mean, uh, look. He's not going to start, right? Yeah. And, and right look, we worked together for quite a while here at, you know, Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central and still it takes a little time for us to get used to each other on a podcast format as we chat. It's just not add water, right? I mean, uh, you got to have a lot of flow and continuity. So uh, I'm not overall that high on Ben Simmons, whether he plays or not, that he's going to make it be a, any of a game changer. I'm not sure that he plays. And even if he does, I'm not seeing it as a game changer right now. Now, with an off season and you know working together, I think that that might change. I just want to mention we also have All right. team health rankings for the play-in tournament. Um, Western Conference teams and Eastern Conference teams. That's up at SixScore.com. Uh, we rank all the team health scores and uh, what what to look for with those uh, playing games. Um, speaking of right and wrongs, let's let's go right to the Masters doc. Uh, you, you don't like baseball? I'm with you. Baseball is just getting going. Right? We'll be all over baseball. We got a long season. I know. You guys have all the, the Diamond View stuff and all the good stuff coming. All right, Masters. Let's do the easy one first. Bryson DeChambeau. Is there any doubt now that he's not right? I mean, we were saying it when he didn't make the... Before the Valero Open and he didn't make the cut... Pretty clear now that Bryson is not right with his hand, wrist, hook of the hamate fracture. You can't hit a baseball well with it. You can't play hockey well with it. This is in his left hand, the power grip hand. He's a power golfer. I mean, he makes his money making par fives into par uh, fours and, and some par fours into par threes, right? I mean, he obviously couldn't do it. And um, I don't know, and I know some word leaked that he was going against his doctors coming into, into it. I st still believe in the, you know, having some golf experience and worked on some golfers and in consultation with their other docs. The hook of the hamate is a small chip fracture that doesn't heal. It's at the base of the hand here where you grip a baseball bat, a hockey uh, stick, or a golf club especially right-handed, left-hand, left power grip here. And it just is gnawing and annoying. In everyday life, you can do everything, but it usually doesn't heal because it's like a small chip fracture. So you have to remove it. And that takes about a two-month recovery timeline. So I think the next step here is, is Bryson going to realize, and, and maybe if he played better, it'd tease him into to keep going. But since he played so poorly, uh, that might be the best thing for him, to just get it fixed. 
Now, would he be able to come back for the, he would not make the PGA championships if he did surgery. The US Open is only a maybe. That's sort of the dividing line. But the British Open he'd make. But, you know, I don't know. I, I gotta look into how his game sets up uh, versus St. Andrews and, and what have you, all those golf things. But that one was easy, uh, that unfortunately. And we'll see about the surgery side. So to be fair, Tiger Woods, do you think our golf analysis was right or wrong? I think it was both. I think it started, <laughs> I think it started off wrong and then it became well, right. I think, right. I think it depends what, what the goal was. Was the goal to have him go out there and compete or was the goal to just see him walk the four rounds? Well, you know, look, we don't delete tweets. We don't take down articles or opinions. Um, and I think... If I had to grade it, medically, we were, I won't say 100, but high 90s, right? But on the fact of would he tee it up in the Masters, we were clearly wrong. And let me give you how we went through that opinion. The Sports Injury Central doctors, we all knew that even though everyone was, you know, uh, all rainbows and everything on Tiger, we're like, that ankle's nowhere near 100%. Uh, he's wearing a different shoe for more support. You can see him limping in his weight shift and his practice swings are not the same. Uh, the Masters is a hilly course. He hasn't golfed consecutive days in a row, much less four days in a row. And so when he did play and have a pretty good first round, scrambling, sure, rust, minus one is like, kudos. But you'll see next round is going to be harder and he was plus two. And then he made the cut, and he made it by a lot. Congrats. But we kind of doubled down and said, well, and we weren't trying to be haters, just like the cumulative effects. And you saw every day he limped more and more, right? And then he was shot Saturday and Sunday, his two worst rounds at Augusta ever. Back to back 24 years. Yep. Yeah, pair of 78s. Look, he's great. He literally, I mean, he could beat any of us in golf with one arm tied behind his back and blindfolded, right? But I'm not hating on Tiger with that assessment. I'm respecting his opponents and the other golfers. Tiger's 46 and even healthy. Remember, he had, what, about a decade span between majors wins. Now you're going to ask him to come back not golfing for 400 days competitively and not 100% on his ankle and limping and you know then all of a sudden come in and win it that's why we talked about the podcast that 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 all these uh bet takers weren't worried uh you know uh, there were ones still laying 100 to 125 to one to win for tiger they weren't worried and they were right and i wasn't worried now where i was wrong and i'll take it is i didn't think he would play and here's why it was my belief that he did not have a chance to be competitive on Sunday or at the top. And based on that medical thinking, I tried to get inside Tiger's head, which is not the way to go, and it's, that's not what we do, and I shouldn't have done it. I just didn't see him playing and subjecting himself to four rounds of golf when he's sort of an afterthought, and he couldn't win. Now, so why did he play? Well. Number one, I will say he probably proved me wrong. He did even better than I thought Thursday and Friday. 
and he did what we thought. In the end, it caught up to him. And in his mind, maybe what makes him the ultimate competitor is he always believes that he could win. And I'm the one doubting him that medically he couldn't. And if he thought he couldn't win, he would not have teed it up. But obviously he thought he could, right? And that's sort of the, the champion's mentality. He's willing it into existence. And that's where I was wrong. He did tee off and play, right? So I think that's right. Um, so maybe that's a lesson to me to stick to medical instead of getting in someone else's head. But it, no psychology, yeah. right? <laughs> no yeah, psychology. It's all, it's all related. Look, I'm happy that he played. Look, I don't know what the TV ratings were, but my guess is the Thursday and Friday sort of crushed it. And even though Sunday was great, I don't know that it would have set any records, you know? Because <laughs> when Tiger's in it, he's a game changer completely. I know I was watching his stuff and, and what have you. Uh, and as much, if you really look at it, there's probably more attention on, on Tiger. I mean, if you ask people out there, okay, what's the number one headline to come out of the Masters? What would it be? Tiger Woods. <laughs> I mean, Scottie Tiger Woods play, it, but right? It's not Steve Scheffler ran away with it. Scotty Scheffler, yeah. Or Scotty, sorry, Scotty. See, that shows you how much I don't even know the man's first name. Uh, That's he, how bad he's he young. It's all right. <laughs> no, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if you ask the average guy on the street, what's the headline from the Masters? It's Tiger's made a triumphant return. It's not Scotty Scheffler won and won by a comfortable margin. Kudos to him. So for that, we definitely have to make. Uh, Tiger, Tiger Woods, because people think, I think on social media that I hate on him. No, I'm just trying to call a spade a spade. I'm giving him lots of credit. So I will make him at least co-beast of the week. We have another one uh, for like enduring. Look, and a lot of people thought once he was out of it, he would not show and say my ankle hurts and not play the fourth round, but he played. He took his lumps, he shot a 78. Gosh, I would love to shoot 78 on the easiest municipal course in the world, but that's a different story. Uh, uh, kudos. He's a beast. He, I mean, I think everyone felt for him, especially on Sunday, as he was limping on flat ground. And on that fourth hole, when he tried to get out of that bunker, I mean, he looked like old man me. I mean, he stopped at the edge and paced himself, sort of great, and then used the, the, uh, his club as a cane and got out of that sand trap. I mean, that's not a professional golfer and, and kudos to, to tiger because you guys are too young but i'm old enough to remember pre-tiger there was legitimate argument i'm not saying who was right or wrong but there was legitimate argument was golf a sport or a skill like you know is bowling a sport or a skill is darts a sport or a skill i think it wasn't clear and i think because of tiger and his physical nature and his workouts and look at how tour players have now changed in their physique, golf has clearly become, if you ask the question today, is, is golf a sport or a skill? Everyone would say sport. And I don't think that was that way pre-Tiger. So Tiger's a beast, hats off to him. Uh, certainly we'll give him beast of the week for, for enduring and playing through. But I have um, another real one. Quick, real quick, before we get to the other one, I just wanna mention that uh, you helped us lay out what's next for Tiger. We had a, a good article on our, uh, on our SIC score Twitter. Um, so anyone that wants to check it out, you can check it out there. It's on the website as well. Yeah, and and um, once again, when you read that article, remember I'm not a hater. I'm just respecting the injury and respecting his competitors to try and do it as honestly as possible there. 
All right, and a final Beast of the Week. He saw our Beast of the Week last week, and it was heartfelt. Pat McAfee and his WWE thing, that was amazing. But I got another one here this week, and it's my friend Mike Vrabel is the Beast of the Week. Throughout the NFL career, I've, I've been very lucky. I actually know Mike Vrabel a little bit, um, and he is a great head coach because he's a smart guy. He was a heck of a player now, right? I mean, Pro Bowler, that's where I first met him at the Pro Bowl. Uh, I still have a, uh, a, a Patriots shirt that I was like little fanboy. I was walking through, he goes, hey, I'm not taking this stuff. You want some of this stuff? And he threw me a bunch of stuff. Uh, so Mike Vrabel, I've chatted with him since, great guy, but this deserves a beast of the week. So Will Compton, one of his former players, who runs that uh, podcast with Taylor Lewan? What podcast is that? Chris? Yes, it's uh, Busting It with the Boys. Yes, it's a funny one, right? And they're good. Yes, Will it's, Compton. It's funny, yes. Taylor Lewan, yeah, and, very funny. Uh, you know, Taylor Lewan, the left tackle. So Will Compton tweets out a quote. One of the quotes I've always remembered from Mike Rabel, Coach Rabel, was, quote, the great ones make it look easy, end quote. And off the top rope, here comes Mike Rabel. I hope you didn't think I was talking about you when I said that. No laughing emoji, no nothing, straight Twitter deadpan off the top rope. And let me tell you something. That's Mike, that's pure, and uh, I guarantee you the players in the locker room respect that. They're laughing and yucking it up. He's just literally that way. And I'm sure Will Compton didn't take any offense by it either. Uh, but. That is a beast of the week move deserving off the top. Right. I have something to add to that too, Doc. Uh, Vrabel, his last, two of his last three tweets have been making fun of Compton. So he's becoming a Compton troll count. He actually did on March 20th. Um, he had a story about one time he got hurt on the field and Vrabel um, said, that explains why you're so slow, dot, 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 broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> so the la literally the last two two of the last three tweets Rabel has been going after Compton so he's been the beast for a little bit now we just we just we just came a light I didn't see that one but this one is off the top rope yeah, you know yep. not not even involved in the conversation and, 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 and here he comes <laughs> WWE style all right guys uh thanks for joining us thanks again to Ben Volan thank you Justin and I hope you enjoyed uh, some of these, quote, football off-season versions of the Pro Football Doc and Sports Injury Central podcast. Lots to talk about. Go to the website, uh, YouTube channel, and uh, more stuff. Uh, and appreciate you all.